Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We've got our oi punk and our golf punk, Jack Gillette and Taylor Hickson stopping by. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the official Deadly Class podcast presented by Sci-Fi Wire. I'm your co-host, Max Veldi, and joining me is... Your other co-host, Jackie Jennings. Hey, and we are talking episode eight, The Clampdown. Ooh, The Clampdown. The Clampdown. And when I saw that title, I immediately thought of... I don't know if you watch Futurama, but I, my brain immediately went to The Clamps. It was... Uh, I, I can't avoid that reference. Oh. But uh, mm. that might be... <laughs> <laughs> completely off topic. That's okay. That's fine. It's completely no, unrelated. It's great. I just thought, uh oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Clamp down at King's Dominion. That's not good. Um, and Jackie, you went to Catholic school. That's correct. I did. And I was until it, eighth grade. Was it boarding school or was it public school? Uh, no, it was just, it wasn't board. We didn't live there, but it was, um, okay. yeah, it was just like a cat, like a school, but <laughs> religious where they made you go to church <laughs> and talk to you about God. How a lot. horrible for you. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't great. <laughs> you don't have to be a, like an actual teacher to teach at those schools. Oh, perfect. Which is not, also, again, not great. <laughs> um, but this, and as someone who absolutely did not go to mm-hmm. boarding school. Um, You're a heathen. I'm, I'm proud of it. <laughs> uh, this, this felt like something that could have occurred in a boarding school where it's like you are, you're on lockdown. Oh, Everyone's yeah. locked in their rooms. No one's escaping. And a cool way to structure this episode, I felt like. It was a cool way to see different characters only interacting with a couple other ones and creating some combinations that we haven't really seen before. Oh, for sure. Oh, you were asking because if I had gone to a boarding school, oh, they would still do stuff like this all the time where it was (laughs) like the priest wants to talk to you all day. So that's what school is today. And you're like, about like God and stuff. Yeah. One time one of the priests came in the room in the middle of a history class and was like, I want to talk to them. And our teacher was like, okay, well, we were teaching them about, you know, history. Actual history. Yeah, and he just talked to us about how, <laughs> what he thinks when women walk in the room to, like, <laughs> prove to us that he was celibate. It was insane. He said when a beautiful blonde woman walks in the room, it is no different than a golden retriever to me. <laughs> Swear to you. We were all like. <laughs> this is so brutal. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Which is like, oh, so you want to have sex with dogs, I guess, is what you're saying. Got Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we're bringing it back. We are bringing it yeah, back. Yeah, and here class. we are. Yep. Which um, is exactly what happened in this week's episode of yeah. the Class. And for those of you that don't remember what happened, here's a little refresher. I didn't think it was going to feel this way. When you were trying to kiss me. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt a quality moment with you and my boyfriend. <laughs> Can't hide from firing Jack and Captain Sensible Maria. Get this crazy ass off me! My son is dead. You can't understand my pain, but you will. I too lost a child. If Naya had lived, would you have sent her to us? I would have been proud to see her follow in your footsteps. Hello, brother. You thought you could hide them? She'll never be out of danger. Marcos, he's the key. 
And why bring this to me and not Master Lin? My pa always told me to bet on the winning horse. If I am to suck boots, I will suck the most prosperous one. Let's put that to the test. All right, so this episode starts off with a really quick, almost like throwaway scene mm-hmm. with Shabnam selling out Marcus to Gao. Yeah. Which I, I think we it's worth talking about a little bit later. Totally. But this is really like one of the first moments that we've seen of Shabnam really flipping the script. And we see his manipulation in a, in a yeah. scene with Gao, which is cool. I think one of my favorite parts about Shabnam's character is that he's been saying it the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's been saying, no one suspects me. Yep. Like, yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm just a kind of a, you know, goofy guy that no one's threatened by. And like. So true. I don't care. And the way that he's playing it is genius because he's acknowledging what he is, but in his goofy kind of yeah. dorky way. And so everyone's like, yeah, dude, you're, like you're a joke when actually he knows exactly what's up. Yeah. And, you know, he is he's playing the game. Honestly, I think in a in a better, more effective way than totally. Petra and Victor and Victor are. Yeah. Petra, um, Brandy and and Victor are. But it's it's cool. Yeah. Um, so we go from there to the graveyard where they've got a very emotional game of Monopoly being mm-hmm. played, talking about the trappings of capitalism and getting pretty Marxist with it, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like Marcus's VO when it is a conversation and not just – him thinking it in his head or like writing it in his journal. It functions better when someone can respond. And 100%. yeah, and sort of bring it back down to earth from this like heady, <laughs> you know, I'm working through whatever I'm working through. It's the smartest, most emotionally sound 14 year old in the world. Yeah. Yes. Monopoly, what piece do you pick? Ooh. Or so, do you care? So I feel like everyone in Monopoly picks the piece that they first picked when they first played the game, mm-hmm. which for me is the thimble. Oh, okay. Thimble. You, you feel like a dog type yes, of piece. Yes, the little Scotty dog. Yeah, because yeah. also in not so many words, you've hinted at that you are obsessed with getting a dog and you want one yes, so badly. and I would like to be a dog. <laughs> <laughs> if I were, yeah. Yeah, the Scotty dog. And if someone takes that, I'll go for the battleship. But yes. Ah, I can Scotty see. Scotty dog. Jess, who's so one of cute. the producers in the booth mm-hmm. with us, I would say is a top hat. But is that right? Oh You're a wizard, yes. Max. This is like this, well, this is like the game that you like playing. Um, Red Al Pacino, Red Green Al Pacino. Pacino. Green Al Pacino. Shout out to my UCB Turco <laughs> fan. Yeah, you can guess people's this piece is, based on their personality. And in that game, it would be um yeah like top hat or battleship, and you would instinctively have to know. Yeah. Although Green Appuccino, Red Appuccino, it it is very evocative. We just don't have enough time. We just don't have enough time to get into that. But at me. Anyway. uh, At me on Twitter and I'll explain it to you. I didn't invent it. Someone else did. Quick shout out to Petra's outfit in this scene, which felt like it was ripped straight out of Beetlejuice. Oh, Um, yes. She's got serious Winona vibes. Yeah. Um, Winona. Petra grows up to be Carrie Brownstein. (laughs) She's on Portlandia right now. <laughs> that sounds right. It's true. She's so, they're equally cool, I yeah, would say. So cool. So from the graveyard, we go into the, I think, the the moment that sets up this whole episode, mm-hmm. which is this attempted assassination on Saya's life. And mm-hmm. the school quickly goes into lockdown. Yeah. Um, which is 
just a, again, a great way to set up the episode, a great narrative device where we're sort of jumping from room to room. Yeah. And these little mini pressure cookers that have been created just based off of the geography of the building. Yeah. So in one room, we've got Lex, Billy, and Petra, which... What a room. Whoa. If you're going to get thrown in one room. That is the room. <laughs> Roll my ass that in is, that one, that, right? That room is pure <laughs> romance. I feel like usually in these episodes, you'll get the people who have the most obvious tension. And it's like, yeah. we've got to work it out, you know? And this was just like, no, let's just like fuck it up a little and see what happens when we put them together. And I it's, liked it. And looking back on it now, I feel like it's so obvious that yes. Lex has a thing for Petra. Well, he said it but, kind of in the last episode, yeah. right? No, they definitely Yeah, they definitely yeah. They've hinted at it. It's just he's been so standoffish to her. Yeah. That I just immediately thought, oh, he just he just makes fun of everyone. That's just what he does. Yeah. He, what's it, like knocks the piss out of everyone? Is that Take the, the piss. The, take the piss. Oh, yes. Take the piss. I can't. Your British is much better than mine. I don't know what that was. Take the piss out of someone. Yeah. Um, but he's he's just it's teenage flirting. Yes, it's he's like it's the the kid who like you know knocks down mm-hmm. his crush because he doesn't know how to express his feelings. Mm-hmm. It's toxic. It's completely toxic. Um, mm-hmm. In this room, we really got to see more of Lex as a character and as a somewhat sensitive being. He's yeah not his typical jokey self, and sure, like that does happen in the room. But he's unsure of himself a little bit. Yeah, he's on his heels. Definitely. Which is not usually. At all. Yeah. Um, So I thought that was. That's a wild room. Really, really cool to see. Um, Yeah. And I think also just Petra just being, just owning it. She just freaking owned that room so, so much. What 16-year-old girl is like, I got a plan. We've got. 20 minutes (laughs) (laughs) we're banging yeah um and so this was actually my question for you is so one of the reasons why i loved this room so much is because i thought the way that um sexuality was portrayed for 15 year old boys was so accurate where it's like when you're with your friends yeah all this bravado and all this you know locker room talk and then when you're actually confronted with action or being in a sexual yeah, where you have no experience, you're scared as shit, and you are scared into in, inaction, right? Uh, yeah, and they're just making excuses, yeah, which felt completely accurate to me. Mm-hmm. So I guess the heart of my question is, how accurate do you think Petra's bravado was? And do you think that she would have actually gone through with it if they were down to clown? Um... It depends. Like, I'm sure there's I'm trying to think of my most confident friend in high school and I am thinking of her now and a thousand percent. She would have been like, why are your pants on? (laughs) You know, like what's going on? Um, Show me your giblets. Yeah. I think that's a pretty unique teen girl. Teen at all. Yeah. But it makes so much sense. Yeah. It's like she is like, let's live. let's, Let's just do it. I'm at my most adventurous and hottest I'll ever be. So, like, let's just do this. And I think she has a sense of, like, we're all high probability we all die before we graduate. a great point. Yeah. So it's like, why wouldn't we? So the object of Billy and Lex's adoration is obviously Petra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In this episode, we really get to see her firmly in control not only of her own destiny, but of 
these other teenage boys' destinies, which I feel yeah. like has sort of been par for the course for her. She's always at, – at no point do you ever get a sense like she is reeling or out of control. She thrives in this environment where totally. she's making everyone else feel uncomfortable, she's like, but, she, but she's want. comfortable. It's about what I want. Yeah. And we spoke with Taylor Erickson earlier this week to break down this moment in Deadly Class. I'm really impressed by not only Petra's confidence in this episode, but her her sexual confidence, which I think is almost like it's it's unbelievably just m- mature and cocky and confident. She owns it, and I'm <laughs> I'm curious from you where you think that comes from from Petra. Uh, I mean, she's dropped little hints throughout. You know, she says to Billy, like you have you have no idea what I'm capable of. You have no idea what goes on in my brain. Um, I think. This for her, I mean, it's also in her room, but with these two character connections that she has, it's a very comfortable and safe space for her to explore. And she's finding out now that both of these people have um, major affection, carry deep feelings for her. And she's pretty aware that they'll do whatever she wants. So I think this is uh, her chance to explore and uh, test, test how she can manipulate these two as well. In different different levels, but um, I I think you're just seeing her with some thoughts and um, some wants that she's had for a long time coming to coming to light because she feels she's in, in a safe in a safe space where she feels she can really explore. It's a really interesting element that I hadn't even really thought about is uh, her using this as a testing ground to see how much she can manipulate them. And so it's a it's <laughs> totally. a sexual desire thing, but then also like bringing it back to the, you know, the the murder school and all that. Mm-hmm. I think she's, she's trying to see how far they're, they're willing to go for her. Do you think that she's calling um, Billy and Lex out on their bravado in this episode? Like, do you think that she would have actually followed through with the threesome or do you think that she just wanted to make them squirm? Petra, um, she can indulge in some pretty, uh, impulsive desires. I think at times, um, she, she's definitely, she, she tries very hard to think with her head, but I think a lot of her, her course of action actually comes from heart because she's human and that's what humans do. Uh, I really think she was testing their bravado I think she was also testing how far they would go. And I think she was being quite playful. And um, as the scene continues, I think she's changing her mind. You know, I think she's ticking. Great. And that seems like a little, uh, little break point, little pause moment. So let's take a commercial break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So we get some very interesting uh, sexual bravado and yeah. a potential threesome mm-hmm. that doesn't actually materialize. Mm-hmm. But that being juxtaposed with this crazy flashback for Lex, where oh my gosh, yeah. we, now, we now sort of understand where his craziness slash humor slash bravado comes from. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, poor little Lex. Poor Lex and poor Billy. They're both, mm-hmm. I mean, who isn't broken at 
Kingston Minion, but they're both sort of like not actually very violent and didn't really have very violent. They're not from they're rats. They're not from like this legacy of killing. They're just, yeah, someone in their family messed up and now they're stuck becoming murderers. We see Lex's mask is on full display where yeah. you realize that all of his bravado, all of his just making fun of everyone around him, his way of dealing with his insecurities, which, you know, it's sort of like, of course, that's what happens at killer school. But Right. But he kind of talks the talk a little bit more than just like mocking people. Mm-hmm. He sort of has the whole like, look, the ethos, like I'm just a, I'm a punk, I'm counterculture, I'm whatever. It's not, he's not just like wisecracking. He's right. an actual asshole a lot of the time. And do they both confess that they've never had sex? Is that what happens in that scene? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he, yeah. I, I didn't quite catch when he's like, I'm like you. And I'm I was also. like, straight? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't understand what he's saying. But then I realized, I was like, oh, they both are saying that they're virgins. And I get, that is a wild way. <laughs> but yeah. No one knows Lex better than Jacquelette. And mm-hmm. we caught up with him earlier in the week to talk about uh, Lex's flashback, his uh, sexual experience in this scene, which would, didn't actually end up happening, um, and his character's mask. So that's coming up right now. So one of the themes that we've been talking about um, in the podcast is masks and every character showing some form of themselves that is a little bit of a front. If Shabnam's mask is weakness, and Willie's mask is that of a stone cold killer. What do you think Lex's mask is? Oh, that's a that's a great question. In Lex's eyes, or through everyone else's eyes? Because I think Lex <laughs> is just like, well, he's just, a, he's just a badass. He's just a he's just a fucking nutcase, mate. That just jumps in and gets his own dirty. I think Lex Lex's mask is oh, he's a he's a pyromaniac. He's he's the explosives guy. So he's a, he's like a he's like a, a bomb that's constantly one second to exploding that it, it, it's it's yeah just before detonation so he's got that that, that sort of uh, the mask of a, of a of an unexploded bomb so you think that other people at the school might not cross lex because they're because he what he presents is unpredictability and that they don't know what they're going to yeah, get unpredictable. he's volatile he's, he's yeah that you, you, they don't want to cross him because who knows what he might do find a big two-foot dildo and beat the <laughs> hell out of you with it. <laughs> I love it. And then I guess the the other side of that question is, what do you think Lex's real self is? And who's the person that he is hiding behind the mask? I was, I was listening to the radio the other day and a Tom Cochran song came on called Boy Inside the Man. I always felt that when it comes on the radio. But I just, I was listening to the, the, the Boy Inside the Man. I definitely think that's definitely the, what Lex is like. He fronts this sort of big, hard, scary exterior but there is just sort of a a timid boy who wants his dad and his family back again and doesn't want to be in the situation that he's in like he, he feels like he doesn't he can't go back and if he ever sees his dad or his brothers and get and be like hey so yeah i was going to try and make something of my life like you told me to but i'm actually just an assassin now and i kill people for, for a living <laughs> so there's so definitely a, a lot of shame and guilt and and sort of self-loathing that goes on inside Lex that is um, that definitely fuels his, his volatility. Do you think that Lex is a coward? When, when it comes down to the crunch and when there is, when it is a life and death situation, I think, yeah, he's he, he definitely a lot more fearful than you would think he would be in those situations. 
I don't, I don't want to say he's a coward, but he's not as he's not as brave as he think as he shows himself to be. All right, so that was room number one. Mm-hmm, that's what's behind door yeah. number one. <laughs> and knock knock. Moving on to door number two, we've got Willie, Marcus, and Victor. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I think Victor feels like the odd one out in this room. Yes, because um, you know uh, Willie and Marcus are kind of best friends at this point. Yeah, they're really close. They know a lot about each other. Um, and Victor is the enemy. Like, they know by now Victor is yeah. 100% the enemy, even though he is still very funny. And that is, I think, the biggest difference between the comic book and the show. Yeah. Is that Victor is really, really funny. Victor's he's, funny, He's yeah. comedic relief, for he sure. He is, yeah. The Bon Jovi. <laughs> that he loves Bon Jovi. <laughs> it's it's really funny. Very mainstream. But also that music conversation I loved because that is essentially a direct pull from the comic. Yes. And switched it up a little bit and they adjusted it so that it's no longer just, you know, Marcus waxing philosophical about like new music versus old music Mm -hmm. and being trendy. It's also Willie calling Marcus out for being a little bit of a narcissist. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting where he's like, it's always about you. It also, it reminds me, I don't know if we used this last last week, but Luke Tenney talked about um, in our podcast interview for episode seven about how Willie is starting, part of what's driving his character is he's starting to feel like nobody is, like nobody really gives a shit about him, that everyone is kind of guarding their own interests and he's sort of on an island by himself, which is true. He's not really involved in the, other than having been there, he didn't do anything. Yep. And Marcus is constantly talking about himself and his problems. Yeah. Too many problems. I've got too many girls that like me at the school. It sucks. It's uh, brutal. It's also, you got to wonder if Willie at this point is like, I don't want to say like kind of giving up a little bit, but the front that he has established, he knows has completely yes. crumbled. Yes, too many people have seen it. Too many people. Yeah. And now he's just, he's kind of okay with going on a date with this girl outside of school and bringing her flowers. And that tough veneer is completely gone yeah. at this point. The big plot point in this room is that the note that Marcus receives mm-hmm. from Maria, mm-hmm. which we'll get at a little bit later, That's room. Um, gets destroyed. Yeah. Um, so he, Marcus never gets to uh, read this this message, which would basically have created a truce between Maria and Saya. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. Nope. That's the Willie Marcus Victor room. And then we've got a third room. Mm. Of Maria Brandy Juan. Juan Maria Brandy. Very interesting. Which is a potent combination. Yeah. And it's kind of similar to the previous room where it's like Brandy feels like very much the the odd person out in this scenario. And, you know, she's sitting back while Maria and Juan talk about the aftermath of the assassination and what's Mm going to happen with Saya. Do they go after her or not? Which Maria ultimately decides against. But... Here's a question that I have for you. When I first watched this scene, I kind of thought that maybe Brandy actually does understand Spanish. Yeah, she's from Texas, right? Yeah, and that maybe she's just faking it. She also, in previous episodes, has revealed herself to be much smarter Mm -hmm. than we would give her credit for. What's your take? I think it's interesting 
You've got to weigh the intelligence with the racism. Yeah. One wing wins out. <laughs> like, I actually think it would be pretty crazy to grow up in Texas and speak zero Spanish. Like, I think it's possible. I hope it's not. Because I think that there's no, like, there's no indication that she does. So I think it would feel like a little bit of an unearned aha moment mm. if later on she was like, I heard the whole thing. I speak Spanish. It reminds me, are you a Game of Thrones guy? I saw the first season okay. and then I was like, I've, no, I watched through the Red Wedding and then I, I said, I've, I've, I get this now. There's I've a really well executed plot line in one season that revolves around a character not pretending to not know a language that they do know, but it sort of is like hinted at, like they, they drop a lot of hints and I feel like you have to do that to earn from the audience the kind of like revelation. Otherwise it's just yeah. like, oh, you just decided that decided, it wasn't yeah. like ingrained in the plot. I don't know. Maybe she does. Maybe I missed it. I got to go back and watch. So through the the failing of the note to mm-hmm. be delivered to Marcus, which is instead delivered to Victor's tum-tum, mm-hmm. we have a big falling out in the cafeteria. Another fight. When, yeah. Which is, uh, again, like a, this, this feels like the, the one action set piece in this episode that it's, it's cool seeing their fighting styles emerge, particularly yeah. over... Something that could have very easily been avoided. Yeah. I also think this is where I was like, if one of them wanted to kill the other, like one of them would be dead. Yeah. I don't think they really. Their heart's not in it. No, they don't really want to kill each other, but they do need to sort of like confront each other, put on a show. Yeah. Um, But yeah. And immediately Gao identifies Maria as sort of the common denominator in all of these problems, which doesn't feel entirely fair. But um, yeah, she plucks her out and shoves her in that yeah. weird interrogation room. <laughs> yeah. Of course, which is like kind of Gao's like go-to move now. Which yeah. Which is like, oh, there's something going wrong. You need to be interrogated and tortured. Yeah. Uh, which is tough. Yeah. Here's a question about Maria's character. Mm. So Maria exists in this like weird, everything about her is it's duality, right? Mm. Everything exists simultaneously for her character. And in the opening scene where Saya gets attacked and Saya blames Maria for distracting her, do you think that Maria knew that Saya was going to be attacked? No, I don't think she had any idea. And the reason I say that is because I think that part of this episode is seeing Maria's like control slipping away. Like Juan just did that and he was like, because I think later in the room, I think she's being sincere when she's like, why did that happen? Why'd you do that? And he's like, El right. Diablo told me to. You're out. I don't know. What do you think? You think she's in on it? It's This is what I think she's kind of in on it and also kind of not in on it. Like, I, I think that she actually may have known that it was going to happen, mm. but didn't take any action against it, but also didn't want it to happen in front of her. So yeah. I, I think, it again, it's these things existing simultaneously. I. I think it was interesting what Maria said to Juan, which was, um, we can't do that in school. It wasn't like, yeah. we can't do that to Saya, period. We can't do that in school. Yeah. Which I, I thought was, and who knows if she meant it like that, but that's that was how I interpreted it. Yeah. Maria's getting tortured. Marcus also getting tortured. Mm, interrogated. It's psychological I would, torture, I would actually, say torture, yeah. yeah. By Lynn. That that scene for me had a lot of um, Clockwork Orange vibes to it. Yeah. Where I was getting opening credits of the Wonder Years. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do? Yeah, but yeah. it's his dead parents flashing up. Oh, God. 
yeah, it's it's like it's Lynn style. He's gonna yeah. He wants to engender like trust. He wants to be the only person that they can trust as opposed to Gao who wants them to be terrified. It's a really good call talking about the differences between the way that Gao and Lin get information yeah. from the students. And yeah, Lin is definitely more of the emotional, uh, appealing to your sensitivities mm-hmm. and appealing to, you know, frankly, your humanity mm-hmm. to get what uh, he wants out of the person that he's interrogating. And it works. Marcus tells him the truth. Yeah. He tells him the truth, which at this point feels like, what were we going to keep? He knew, and it was just yeah. a question of which one of them, you yep. know? Like, he knew they were in Vegas. He knew someone killed Chico. Probably Maria was involved. And that's the thing. Like, you kind of get the sense that both Gao and Lin knew from the beginning what happened. They yeah. just needed confirmation in the specifics. But yeah, they're both getting interrogated. They're both getting tortured. Marcus gives up the truth about what happened. And Lynn cover for him. Lynn, uh, actually, Scrooge. probably my favorite moment yes. in the episode was the second where Marcus fully breaks. Mm-hmm. And Lynn breaks in that moment, too. And mm-hmm. he kind of becomes fatherly, gives him a little pat on the back. And I wasn't sure if he, how he was going to react, but he's on Team Marcus. He is very yeah. much a, all right, I'm going to go into damage control mode and meet Diablo in this, like, Scarface-style hotel room. Um, Very, like, 80s Miami, I thought. Yeah. Um, And straight-up lie. Yeah, and just go with the narrative of Yukio. It was Yukio. Chico was there for a drug deal. It went bad. Yukio killed him. It's over. I think as much as he's on Team Marcus, I think he's also on Team I Need This to Be Over. Like, I can't have this guy murdering six kids at our school and also me. Like, I think for sure El Diablo would also kill Lynn if he knew, like, you let them. How did how did they take how did they drive from San Francisco to Vegas and commit double homicide? Like murder, (laughs) double murder. Yeah. Um, so I, he's on team Marcus though. I think, I think Lynn wants to protect the students as much as he can. And it's such a clean resolution for him. It's like, mm-hmm. you've got someone from the Kuroki syndicate dead. Someone from Sotovados dead. Yeah. They cancel each other out. Let's call it a day. And the logic of, well, Yukio let in the other assassins. He let in the Kamiga brothers. So let's just, we're done. Like all of the bad is done. Yeah. The problem that I see with Lynn's logic mm-hmm. here is that, his lie is dependent upon Chico dealing drugs. Yes. As a part of his lie, which I feel like Diablo would know mm-hmm. what. Or could easily figure out. Or could easily figure out yeah. whether or not that was or was not happening, mm-hmm. which it probably was not happening. And that gives Diablo a reason to suspect Lynn for the cover up. Yeah. And will, what I assume is incite action in episodes nine and 10. Yeah. The rats seem fucked. Yeah. The- fucked. They're like, because even I had this thought, like, the legacies can just sit back and do nothing. And they're all fighting amongst themselves, killing themselves. Sai and Marie are tearing each other apart. And Shabnam, Brandy, and Victor are like, <laughs> yeah. you guys are. You guys aren't even, like, really making allegiances either. Yeah. Which is, and, like, that, I think, is the big if you actually break down the rats versus the legacies, it's no contest because the legacies, like you've seen this, you see this with Diablo, you see this with even Shabnam's parents. Yeah. Where it's like they have all of these resources to rely on. They're organized. They're organized. And the rats are just, uh, they're just existing. Yeah. I do hope that Lex and Billy get some. 
before. That's the dream. Um, they pass. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it does seem like a lot of people are probably going to die pretty soon. And that, as we've seen before, there is a a nice mixture of the violence and the sexuality. And mm-hmm. it feels like in future episodes, there may be a moment where Billy is able to appeal to Petra's sense of morbidity and yeah. just say, we're about to die. Just one, you know, please. Just, can I get a smooch? <laughs> That's all I want. You've all but I said die. you want to. Yeah. I won't. I'm not going to pull the trigger on the threesome, but yeah. I will. It's a pull lot the to ask. It's a lot to a ask. A little bit of Frenchin. Yeah. Oh, Frenchin. <laughs> it's a lot to ask. I just. <laughs> oh, God. I hate myself. To sometimes. lose your virginity as one third of an Eiffel Tower is a lot to ask. <laughs> So that takes us to the end of episode eight, The Mm -hmm. Clampdown. We've only got two left. Crazy that we're already closing in at the end of the season. Coming up. Jackie, I feel like we're going to see a lot of fighting in these next two episodes. If there's one pairing that you'd be excited to see face off, who would it be? For just like emotional punch packed, Mm. I I think Victor and Petra could be. Great choice. I would love to see Marcus and Saya fight. Ooh. I think it would be a cool combination of styles. Saya is very sleek, very powerful with mm-hmm. her sword. Marcus super scrappy. Mm-hmm. Plus there's always like the lover's quarrel, yep. which I guess you would get also with Petra and Victor kind of, but in a very right. different way. I think it'll be a little more tragic with them. Definitely. But it's going to be a showdown. Yeah, so. it's going to be good. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Um, you know, we're, we're talking deadly class. Hit us we up are. if you have any questions or if you just want to give Jackie a recommendation for a dog breeder. She's uh, in the market. Or how to become a dog. I really <laughs> want to be a dog. I want to be an animorph. Perfect. Oh, I freaking love animorphs where is the film adaptation for animorphs i don't know i'm sure it's one of those that's like famously tied up in some studio nonsense it's got to be i mean ridiculous yeah the covers of those books are immaculate yes and doesn't one of them the one where